0: Hello and welcome to the BGS English Revision Podcast. Um, uh, I'm Miss Yamanakis and I'm here today with Miss Thomas. um, And we are going to look at um, another extract from um, R.C. Sheriff's Journey's End. Um, We've already done one um, on Act One and this is a second one on Act One. And here we are focusing on the extract, uh, the end of Act One, um, where there is a conversation between Stanhope and Osborne, where Stanhope is very drunk, and Osborne ends up um, putting him to bed. Um, Just a small um, thing before I hand over to Ms Thomas, who's going to talk you through the question and the thesis statement. Um, You will have a copy of the text in your exam, and it is really helpful to make sure that you find exactly where the extract comes from, um, so that when you're annotating, you know what's happened just before and what's going to happen next. So do take a few minutes to place the extract in your copy of the book
1: okay so as miss yamanakis says this is an extract taken from the very end of act one and the question that we've got here is how does sheriff make this such a powerfully moving moment in the play so a very classic exam style question yes um and the thesis statement which you can read along with on the handout goes like this This extract, near the end of the first act, powerfully highlights the impact of three years in the front line on Stanhope's mental state, and the arrival of Raleigh forces him to confront the ways in which he has changed during that time. His relationship with Raleigh's sister, who is treated as an ideal of femininity, seems impossible to him now, as he sees himself as unworthy to marry her, owing to his drinking and the terrible things that he has seen. He sees her innocence as something that will be besmirched by the man he has become, as the extract progresses, Stanup reverts to a childlike state and Osborne takes on the role of parent, soothing him and putting him to bed, which is poignant.
0: Yeah, and I think that, you know, a question about a moving moment in the play, it could be applied to... Most all of the play extracts. Mm. There are one or two moments. There's another podcast um um you will find which is um on one of the meal scenes where mm. there which is, is kind of underlying but essentially the whole play is pretty moving, isn't it? So um we have divided, as we always do, um the uh, essay into um, three different paragraphs with a different focus for each. Um and the first paragraph um what we would like to focus on is um, Stanhope's relationship with Raleigh um, and the significance of hero worship. So obviously Raleigh is not in this um, extract, but the conversation that um, Stanhope is having with Osborne is a result of Raleigh's appearance, um, which obviously has enormously shocked um, stand up. That this this kind of figure from um, his past, um, from his school days, and also connected to um, the girl um, who he wanted to marry, has has reappeared in the trenches.
1: Yeah, so their relationship is really fundamental to the extract. And it's really clearly a hierarchical relationship, isn't yes. it? Even though at some point, um, Raleigh talks about them as being friends and going exploring in the new forest together, and we get the sense of a kind of camaraderie that exists in the holidays. At school, it's a very hierarchical one. Um, Stanhope, as we already know, you know was f- almost famous at school for his sporting prowess, captain of first-team rugger. Yeah,
0: um, that's continued here. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think another thing as well, if you're thinking about the kind of themes and motifs in the play, hierarchy is very significant. Mm. It, and it's also connected to the class system mm-hmm. um, that existed very strongly at the time, which you see when other characters are discussing Trotter or when Mason is a kind of figure of fun. But here the hierarchy is a very much that kind of within school, and now that's been translated to the front line where Stanhope is the company commander, so he's the most important person um, there. Um It's worth remembering that at this point in um, Act 1, Stanhope is already pretty drunk, isn't he? And he Mm. gets um, consistently more drunk during the course of the extract. And you can see that in Mm, his repetition and his syntax. So it's worth kind of um, tracing that. Um, But one of the things I think it's worth looking at when you're annotating the extract, and you really do need to take the time to do that, Um, in the 45 minutes that you've got, is the kind of language he uses when he's talking about um, Raleigh. Um, The adjective little is used a number of times, Um, and I think that's his way of trying to kind of minimise the threat that he feels from Raleigh's appearance. Um, And he calls him um, a prig um, as well. Repeatedly, three times in the extracts,
1: he's called a prig. I mean, he's not actually, is he either? Raleigh's not
0: a prig. He's sort of young and fresh-faced and excited. Um, but I think... Um, we, we said this in the other podcast. In a way, maybe seeing Raleigh reminds Stanhope of what he was like yeah. before the war had changed him so fundamentally. And this
1: idea, and you've said in the key vocabulary, a prig is someone who's self-righteous or who sees themselves as morally superior. So it's this idea of being a little bit stuck up, isn't yes. it? And as we said, Raleigh isn't like that. No, Raleigh absolutely I think, isn't. So Stanhope is doing that deli- deliberately to kind of distance himself yeah. from Raleigh and, to, as you say, to minimise... The impact that he can have upon him, and it's this idea of kind of putting him in a, in a little box. He's yes. little, and he's annoying, and he's you know looking down on me. Um, these are all you know. He has the fear that Stanhope is going to look down on him, but it's also a way for him to kind of distance himself. Yeah, from him.
0: because I think Rowley's arrival is the real world mm. impinging mm-hmm. on this kind of surreal, horrific world of war, and he can't cope with that yeah. intrusion. Really. Um, Uh, I mean, Osborne's comment, we were talking about this before we started the podcast as well, on the kind of whole notion of hero worship... Um, and Osborne says, and this is the kind of schoolmaster in him, mm-hmm. I think he's saying there's something rather deep and rather fine about hero worship. So he sees it as the sort of natural order of things. So the younger boys look up to the older boys at school and now in the front line, the younger soldier will look up to more experienced one. But that's clearly not how no, Stamark feels about I it. think
1: heroism is actually probably one of the, one of the central themes of the mm-hmm. play. Because up is seen as a hero for different reasons by different people at yes. different times in his life um, and here so it, it, the play is is interested in what we take to be heroism and I think one of the things that the players is doing is saying well to an extent Stan was a hero and look at how the war made our heroes behave yes and and look at maybe what they were reduced to but also the reality of what heroism in the trenches looked like
0: and he doesn't obviously doesn't see himself as a hero does he no. in the exchanges with hibbert where, oh gosh, um, <laughs> are really horrible. But actually, in the end, the way he gets through to Hibbert is by saying, "Don't you think I, I'm frightened yeah. to Everyone's frightened. There'd be something wrong with you if you weren't." Um, the difference is that he chooses to kind of live with that by drinking mm. and carrying on doing what he feels he has to do, even when he rightfully, at this point, could have, you know, gone home for a bit. Um, I, I'm not allowing Hibbert to um, to go off sick with his neuralgia Mm. Um, so I think you're right I think the whole question of heroism is a really important Mm. one Mm. Um, and I think Osborne's just trying to remind him really that um, that there's the, nothing insidious in Raleigh's appearance here. He's just excited to be with Stanhope again. And, this is, and
1: he is a man that he looks up to. Yes. And he, maybe there's something kind in, in Osborne's attempt to remind Stanhope that he's not entirely broken and he's not yeah. he's not worthless. Because I, the next point we should go on to, should we? We should go on to. I, mean, it was, I think
0: it's just with Remnant as well that, you know, the, the again, we're back to the hierarchy. These are the officers, but the ordinary mm. soldiers do love and revere mm. Stanhope as a leader. So in that sense, he is heroic and successful, but we see the personal cost of that
1: yes let's move on to the second because the next point very nice and very nicely structured essay Miss Yamanakis um is talking about Stanhope's fear and paranoia so as you say Stanhope definitely doesn't perceive himself as heroic in any way um and Raleigh functions as a reminder to Stanhope of how far he has fallen how diminished he has become by the war and that is something that he feels very scared and very paranoid about Um, and that comes out quite freely in this extract because he's drunk and I think partly because he's drunk, and also because I think with I think Osborne is the one mm, character
0: yeah. in the play with whom he feels free to talk openly. I think partly because he knows that Osborne supports him, but also again it's that schoolmaster thing. You know, I think it's worth remembering that that Stanhope's not that much older than Riley. Mm, he's, he's twenty-one. Still, yeah, isn't he? I mean he's still a very young man. So um, we kind of see his more vulnerable side here, don't we? Yeah.
1: Um, and this is the closest that we get to any kind of condemnation. Osborne really doesn't approve of Stanhope's intention to censor yes, absolutely Um so the censoring is a really it's a really um what's the word kind of vile act that... yes
0: i think i mean again we're back to class and hierarchy here because the um officers wouldn't have their letters censored by each other any mm-hmm. obviously you weren't allowed to say where you were or, or, or comment on any things that were happening in the war but that was taken on trust that was taken on trust Whereas the ordinary soldiers, who weren't officers, would have had all their letters read by um, the uh, officers. So, in a way, this decision to censor Raleigh's letters is is not playing the game. It's 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 not following the rules, and that's something Osborne doesn't approve of um, at all. And also, we know it's his paranoia, because later on, when he gets to read the contents of the letter, yeah. we realise that actually Raleigh is hugely admiring of mm. him, isn't he?
1: Um, so, absolutely. Um but the reason that he's so paranoid about it and the the the, the reason that he wants to keep his actions and behaviour at the front so secret is because he's scared of what Raleigh's system yes. match will make of him. Which I think
0: shows, I mean I said this in the final bullet point, there's a huge misunderstanding here because Stanhope's feelings about himself and how he now is compared to how he was... Um, doesn't necessarily match how people from the outside will see him in a kind of heroic way. So he misunderstands Raleigh's perception of him, and probably he misunderstands what Major's perception might be. Mm. Um, I mean, at the beginning, in the opening of the extract, he says that he'd like to live in the open air and get fit, because he sees war as having kind of corrupted him completely, and he sees himself as not really
1: fit for yeah. human company of people who haven't been through this with him. This idea that um, he can go off and kind of heal himself and yes. be presentable once more, and those images yeah. of the open air are so contrasting to the, to the surroundings that they're in at this point. Yes, which everything is filthy. Filthy, dark,
0: muddy, smelly. And I think it just shows the, the huge isolation that his situation puts him in, and particularly his kind of leadership, that's the thing. You know, again, very young men straight from public sp- school were put in positions of enormous responsibility. Um, and I think, again, this is where um, we discuss this in the other podcast, you know, Sheriff was someone who fought in the front line himself, and so he's trying really to show his audience what the reality, you know, what the cost of that heroism um, might actually have been. Um, I mean... T- do you think at this point, stan
1: is a, a sympathetic character? How do you think the audience feels about him? I think that when we see his coldness to Raleigh, when, we, when, when Raleigh appears, when first I, appears, I think... I, I don't think we necessarily um, dislike him, but there's... I certainly felt a kind of... Uh, yeah, a, a coldness towards stan because yeah. he creates that quality. And it
0: juxtaposes, doesn't it, the way in which Osborne has been trying yeah. to kind of make Raleigh feel at home, and in fact, everybody else's as well, whereas Stanhope's immediate reaction is very hostile, isn't yeah. it? Quite visceral. But I say. think that
1: that's what makes this play interesting is that it's, ne- it's you know, at times Stanhope is, like, as we've discussed, heroic, admirable competent, capable, and at times he's cruel and yeah. unemp- unempathetic and um, hostile, and I think that's a very powerful, it, it's this attempt that Sheriff is making to portray the reality of characters yeah. in the trenches. I think
0: he's hardest on himself, actually, isn't he? Yeah, he Um is. But I think, I, I think you just see the gap that's been created by what the war has done to him, and, and Raleigh's really sort of fresh-faced youth and optimism, he sees what he's lost. Yeah, I think you're right. um, and, uh, and I think, you know, we, we've heard about his drinking at the beginning. Osborne sort of slightly minimises it, and here we're actually
1: seeing it in kind of practice way. He is sort of almost incoherent, really, isn't yeah, he, by, by the, the end of, it. of the extract? And you've talked here about the, the short sentences and syntax reflecting his drunkenness and his paranoia. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the, the kind of broken, questioning syntax, particularly of that bit where he says, hero worship, be damned, yes. which in the context of the play is quite... a it's quite a strong, um, strong word. And then he goes on. He wh- and he swears as well as he calls him bloody little prig. Yeah. Um, repeats little prig. DC DC censorship? Ex- just a single word yeah. sentence. And so it is that kind of lack of control coming through. He has to keep himself quite controlled. Um, and and there are rhetorical trading.
0: questions in there as well, aren't mm. there? As well as those kind of quite short, broken sentences.
1: So he's sort of, he's, hu- he's mostly talking to himself really, yeah. isn't he? And I think kind of that, that particularly comes across when he says, when he, he talks about, then we all go west in the big attack and we've got those sense, um, tenses being mixed up. Um, he's sort of talking in the present tense, even she though he goes
0: though it's on thinking
1: about future. Of and then ever and ever and ever. And again, it's the drunkenness and the rambling. And he's still
0: drinking at this point. as Yeah, well. I think they all go west as well. It's, mm. it's worth commenting. We commented on the other podcast that you know most of the time in this play, when they're talking about the um, the big attack that's coming and all aspects of the war, they do it euphemistically as well. You know, going west really means
1: dying, yeah. but they won't say that directly. Um, and also, I feel like there's a bit here where he's inviting that, that he almost is saying yes. forever and ever and ever better to go west forever and ever and ever than to... Um, disappoint, Madge, or to be I also not being something less than the man that he yeah, once was. I think you get a sense from him that he's
0: been damaged so badly by the war that he almost feels that he could never kind of exist outside. He can never it, come back from it. That he can never come back from it, and maybe mm. that's part of the reason he stays as well. That he he can't go back to the real world, and he doesn't want any respite. Mm. And when he takes his when he takes his leave, he doesn't go home. He just goes to Paris or wherever, mm. and, you know, and has a high old time drinking. So I think I think that kind of damage that's already been done to him is really is really starkly strong, shown
1: and that is a very good point in relation to the question because it is powerfully moving but however we have one final point to we discuss do. which is the nature of Osborne and Raleigh's relationship so as well yeah. as this having this kind of like tragic sense of Stanhope's own regret and almost demise we've also got the very touching relationship between um that should be Osborne and Stanhope. That should be Osborne and Stanhope. change that. <laughs> the, the relationship between Os- Osborne and Stanhope. And we've got Osborne being referred to by his nickname of Uncle here. Yes. Um, so it's this idea that he is a kind of... Um, is the word avuncular? Yes, the word is avuncular. Uncle-like. That's the adjective for uncle, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and the kind of almost paternal role that he has. And we've talked to, uh, before about his kind of schoolmaster role um, and his authority um, I mean, he is in, in, in some ways, he's essentially
0: kind of more authoritative than Stan up. Um, yeah. up. up, obviously, is, is more of a leader and a hero. But Osborne is the kind of measured, steady one who people talk to all the way through the play.
1: I mean, Hardy even says in the very opening of the play, doesn't he, that you yes. should be you should be in charge of this company? Um, which Osborne disagrees with quite powerfully.
0: And actually, he doesn't perhaps have... I mean, I think maybe what Stanhope as a hero is showing us is, oh, well, you need to have that slightly reckless and self-destructive yeah, streak in order to be successful, whereas Osborne is actually much more measured. And kind of, he's older as well, and that's important, that he is more experienced than you know than Hibbert, than Raleigh, and than um, Stanhope. So mm. he's, he's there, really, to... Um, He's, he's a kind of sounding board for a lot of the conversations, isn't he? Um,
1: and here the kind of like fatherly nature of Stanhope is shown by the act of putting...
0: Yes. Os, um,
1: uh, sorry, the The Stan- <laughs> fatherly attitude of Osborne is shown when he puts Stanhope to bed. Um, and I mean, he's slightly... Mocked by Stanhope, this isn't when he talks mm. about the dustpan and brush
0: and clearing everything up with the little dustpan and brush. But essentially, um, that is end. Osborne's
1: role yes. it, in the play. He is a kind of dom- almost domestic figure and he does yeah. kind of clean things up. He looks after people, he kind of sets them right when they're feeling ill at ease.
0: Yeah, yeah. and it's a contrast, really, isn't it, to the way in which Stanhope treats both Riley and Hibbert later on. But we do see Stanhope's kind of more tender side later on mm. um, towards the end of the play. And I mean, yeah, by the end of that extract, Osborne really is treating Stanhope like a baby, isn't he? He's putting him to mm. bed. And I think, does Stanhope say something about tuck me in? Tuck me, um, dear old
1: uncle, tuck yeah. me up. Osborne fumbles the blankets around Stanhope. Stand up. And you and like we're we're talking here about the the dramatic. So it's important to think as well. We're talking about this as a play yeah. and the kind of powerful dramatic symbolism of that of Osborne putting the commanding officer into bed. Um, that can be done very vividly and strikingly on stage and you know yeah and I think I've said in the
0: um, bullet points here that you know this is a play where the stage directions are actually very significant Mm. you'll often get a chunk of stage directions at the beginning particularly if it's beginning of a new act that are to do with the time of day and the light coming in from outside and so on Um, and it's always worth um, having a look at those and here um, you can see that Gently and firmly to the adverts used by Osborne, gently. kind of taking control of the situation and putting Stan up to bed, yeah. um, tucking
1: him under yeah. the blankets.
0: And I think again, there's a real tenderness there because he knows he knows what it's costing Stan up. Even though he doesn't approve of the census, of the letters thing, he can see where that comes from and
1: also isn't there a, there's a kind of um, poignancy and a, almost a tragedy to the fact that he that Stanhope is in many ways still a boy, as you've yes. said he's only twenty one um, which might seem quite old, but it's very young, and he himself joined fresh out of school Riley yeah. as a boy here in this act of putting someone to bed as a reminder of actually in another world in another life they still would have been considered very very young yeah I think I also i mean This is a slightly sort of side point but I mean in the period that
0: this was written the kind of schools that um, Osborne, Riley, and Stanhope would have gone to, you would have been sent away to boarding school at the age of six or seven. So for a lot of these young men, they've never really quite had the kind of maternal care that they probably needed. And I wonder whether what you're saying here in that, in this moment of extreme vulnerability is almost kind of Stanhope kind of reliving those few years that he might have had where he was actually treated as a child. Because part of the point of public schools like this was to toughen people up so that they could go to war or go and work in, you know somewhere and further outreaches of the empire yeah. um and that's you know the idea is that you kind of stiff upper lip and you don't ever show your emotion and here we are seeing standard yeah, vulnerability yeah, yeah. so that, i think like you know i do think but you know when i reread this play I, I taught it lots of times years ago i had forgotten actually how moving it is I I think, think it the end so. of this act particularly
1: um a so loss moving. of innocence isn't yes, it yes and here absolutely. there's a powerful reminder of the innocence that the war has taken from people
0: and in a way i think maybe that Again, I think that connections between public school and war are quite strong, and I think that initial being sent away to school when you're six or seven, which is pretty barbaric in my Mm. view, um, is a sort of first loss of innocence and part of that kind of toughening up. And it's almost like this is a sort of... apocalyptic version of the mm. same thing perhaps
1: just worth mentioning that last kind of action which is where just as um so the last couple of lines of the extract always good to kind of yes. look at the very end of an extract and
0: this is the end of act one as well so yeah. that makes it even more significant
1: so stanhope's um comment to osborne kiss me uncle um which we've said both is there's this kind of developed pathos Kind of drawing on the form, the previous point about the kind of innocence and the childishness, but also there's it's that other it's the kind of trenches humour as well yes. a little bit coming
0: through absolutely. And you also notice the very last line is he yes I go sleep
1: because
0: mm. he can't he's speaking he like a child. But also well, and I he? think
1: he turns slowly on his side with his face to the earth. Yeah, the reminder of the of how close they are to that. The earth. Yeah. That's really visceral. I,
0: I think as well when you know, I'm sure you'll cover this with your teachers when they're reading the play. I and mean, one of the things to remember with this is that you know they're in the front line for six or seven days or whatever it is, and they are the whole of the action of the play takes place within the dugout. Yeah, Was it three, three days? days? Three days. Um but they are literally feet away from the barbed wire of No Man's Land mm-hmm. and you know, a matter of, you know, a hundred yards away from the German front lines. Actually I think that's a kind of metaphor really, isn't it, for the fragility of, of life mm. and, and closeness of death, which could come at any minute, really,
1: during the course of this play. And it is powerfully moving just to read it through. Is.
0: So should we just do, want to do the, I the conclusion? Okay, so. Um, This extract is very moving as we see Stanhope's vulnerability and what lies beneath the fanatical soldier who's very demanding of all those around him. It emphasises and reveals Osborne's loyalty to him, which we've seen earlier in Act 1, in the conversation with Hardy, um, and also in the conversation with Raleigh, where he gently tried to prepare him for the changes in Stanhope. This relationship adds greatly to the pathos created by Sheriff, um, and Stanhope's fear is that he's lost the ability to lead an ordinary life. um, It's also very moving to the audience.